0: You sent in the wolf? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana, banana. Aristotle was
1: not Belgian.
0: Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory.
1: even interesting enough to make me
0: sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. And welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be back this week. I took a week off for my birthday last week, and uh, here we are with one of my favorite people and a conversation that I think is going to please many a film fan. Um, my guest today is director Chelsea Stardust. Chelsea Stardust is not only one of my best friends, but she has two movies coming out this year. She is a director extraordinaire and a um, industry veteran, believe it or not. And, um, she talks a little bit about that in the, uh, in the episode, but, um, she is talking about Field of Dreams. So this is this is a great example of somebody um, picking a movie that is sort of quote-unquote off-brand. I've mentioned this uh, on the podcast before, but I do give everybody the opportunity to, you know, I tell them when they're picking their movie. They can be as on-brand or off-brand as they want. And Chelsea is known in the horror community. She worked for Jason Blum for many, many years. She is a horror or genre and genre director. She directed the musical I produced and co starred and slashed the musical. She has directed almost a dozen short films for Crypt TV and other brands. And um, and now this year, she has two feature films coming out. The first one is All That We Destroy, which is science fiction and horror. Um, it's part of Hulu's Into the Dark series, and that is out May 3rd, just in time for Mother's Day weekend, which is going to become funny once you watch the movie. Um, and, uh, and Satanic Panic from CineState and Fangoria, which will be out later. Later this year starring uh, rebecca romaine and um a wonderful cast of of people so he, uh, you know chelsea chelsea took this opportunity to talk about field of dreams which you wouldn't necessarily think would be something that she would choose but she d- details in the episode how um personal this movie is to her and her family and um how she loves sports movies and um, and also I think we touch on the idea that while this movie, while Field of Dreams is absolutely a family film and it is a sports movie and it is, um, you know um, it's a sweet magical movie, it's also a ghost story and um, so we talk about Field of Dreams as sort of an anomaly, I mean it's a movie kind of unlike any other I've seen in a really long time in that it blends so many different genres. We talk about how if you were pitching this movie today I don't know how you pitch this movie um, and uh, so we we had a really really nice talk about that something I should tell you is that we recorded this episode about a month ago and when I was still sick so my voice is a little raspy but don't worry I haven't gotten sick again knockwood thank goodness um, and uh, and stick around to the end because we uh, for for a couple of horror girls we we close with a David Fincher love fest um, and uh, as and- And also have a little horror talk previewing It Chapter 2. So I think there is something for everyone in this episode. Um, It was truly an honor. It is truly an honor to have Chelsea. As I said, not only is she one of my best friends, but she's also one of the most talented and hardest working people that I know. And she is not somebody who is ever going to be put in a box. And I'm thrilled that she chose Field of Dreams. And uh, and, uh, this episode is coming out just in time for her For her feature debut on Hulu. All right, my friends. Here is director Chelsea Stardust talking about Field of Dreams.
1: (laughs) And pressing record. So now we are speeding. We have sound. Um, I have to apologize to Folsom in advance because he gets to listen to my.
0: No, you don't have to. You you (laughs) say you're welcome, Folsom. (laughs) He gets to hear you and my dulcet tones. I know when I was over at your it's a good house, sport. when I was at your house the other day and he and I saw him, he was like, uh, he was like, oh, yeah, my girlfriend just said, is that the girl whose podcast you do? And I was like, oh, because of my probably, voice. Yes, yeah, probably yeah, he was like, your voice is always blasting out of my speakers. And I was like, well, sorry, but, you know, here you go.
1: Have you not met Kat?
0: I have met her. Oh, is this I so? have. she's great. Yeah. yeah, she is great. Um uh, she is, but I think I think it was like putting two and two together, you know. But um but yeah. yeah, Folsom for for my audience, Folsom Keller is my sound engineer, but he is not only my sound engineer, he's an incredible musician and lovely human You'll and hear so, some of
1: his tunes in Satanic Panic.
0: Yes, you will. You will hear his tunes in Satanic Panic and and Folsom Keller's dad, Sean Keller, wrote the theme to *Sending the Wolf*, which
1: I love. One of the best themes out there.
0: It is a really great I theme. Love I, I love it. I I don't think I've ever told this on the pod before, but I um. I, I told Sean, I was like, so what what do you want? And I was like, well, kind of like the Munsters and kind of like, you know that like 60s rock, like uh, beach rock, rock, surf rock, exactly. Like kind of like the Munsters. And he was like, I know exactly what to do. And he came back and he, and then he would, it was so funny because he sent me an email and he was like, do you think a wolf howling is too much? And I was like, I was just about to email you that. <laughs> and it was like, seriously, the first, like the first thing Sean sent. I was like, yes, that was exactly, Exactly what was in my <laughs> brain thank
1: you that's it thank you for pulling that out we'll give a special shout out to dick dale rest in peace yes his- grandfather of the surfer tomb yes indeed
0: and also i do you like how the reference was the Munsters? it I wasn't do. like no i it, love that i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't put my name on our like my finger on anything else and so i was like you know like the monsters and so like, you got it i love it um but so for our audience who doesn't know i have chelsea stardust here and she is we mentioned satanic panic um which is a feature that you just made Yes, and, um, that so ch- you're in. That I am in. <laughs> I am in. Look closely and you'll find me being salacious and scandalous. Um, but this, that's one of two features that you have coming out this year. Yeah. And you I know you'll listen to the pod and this is not an interview pod. But um I think the audience should know, like two movies, two features in one year is kinda crazy. It's crazy. And <laughs> I but what's cool is so they're both so All That We Destroy is coming to Hulu as part of the Into the Dark series. May third. May 3rd, yes. Um, and then Satanic Panic is going to probably have a festival run. There will be announcements and yes. such. Um, but I say that these are both genre films. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, um, all that we destroy is sci-fi, you would say. Yeah. And um, horror, or, I'm sorry, Satanic Panic is a horror comedy comedy horror, you could, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And, um, but you picked Field of Dreams. <laughs>
1: Which I, did. I love. Um, first off, I'm so honored to be asked oh my to gosh, be a part I'm of this. So I love it right so much. Here. Listen to it every week. Thank Big you. fan. Thank you. Um, and the AFI list, I the, the OG list, before they had all the other ones, um, I grew up on that, like in the sense that my dad was my cinema professor, basically. He's a cinephile, so he would show me all these movies. And then when I was getting ready to go to college – they had mentioned, um, I went to Ohio university and they had mentioned the AFI list and I pulled up the list. Um, and I had seen every movie, but two. Wow. It that's already. Amazing. And this isn't, my dad wasn't going off of this list. He was just saying, these are some of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, I hadn't seen Yankee Doodle Dandy. Okay. And I hadn't seen maybe High Noon Or Shane. I think it was one of the Westerns I hadn't seen. But everything else I'd seen. Um, And then, obviously, they... You know, they... We've talked about this. I haven't really updated those lists very much. And then they have all the other offshoot lists. And when, when you asked me on the podcast, I was like, do I go for a horror movie and be on brand? Or should I pick something that's so near and dear to my heart? Yeah. And... I was like, you know, I wanted... I was deciding between It's a Wonderful Life and Field of Dreams. Right. And It's a Wonderful Life, I think, is on the main list. And Field of Dreams is on the... It's number 28 on the 100 Cheers uh-huh. list. And, oh my gosh, I love this movie so much. <laughs> and I've loved it all my life. Um, And when I saw it on there, I was like, I have to, I have to do it. I have a so... As much as I love, I love all genres of cinema um, and horror movies are what I want to make. But I love sports movies, mm-hmm. and there is one sports movie I want to make um, that I like to call my my like Oscar movie. Yeah. Um, but I have loved sports since I was little. I didn't really play sports. Yeah. I ran cross country, and that was it. And and in terms of like school sports, the only other thing I did was I raced sled dogs. Mm-hmm. So um, the only that's a weird way to put it, but. I grew up with a bunch of Huskies and and but otherwise like my dad is a big sports fan and since I'm from Ohio obviously like the Browns are everything Uh but the Cleveland Indians are everything um the Cavs and so we would go to Cleveland Indians games Mm -hmm. all the time so I so I grew up on baseball and our neighbors were season ticket holders so we always went and I'd get like you know, the I'd follow along in the scorebook and knew all the players, and that was when like the Indians were the best team ever. So mm-hmm. it was like 94, 95. They went to two World Series. I went to a bunch of those games. Um, I think they were playing the Braves and also the Marlins the second year. So, um, so it's always I've just always loved baseball. Um, and sports movies are something you know. I League of Their Own is one of my favorites. Yes. I know you love that as I well. I love it. Yes. Um, that everything from Friday Night Lights to Rudy Major League. Um, Iron Will, which is a sled dog movie, um, all of those. Uh, any, uh, any. I think I don't know if I said any given Sunday, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> Field of Dreams has. It's not only a sports movie. It's a ghost story. It's yeah. a family movie. It's it has comedy. It's so beautifully written, um, and directed and acted. And I, I think the first time I saw it, I was in. Middle school, maybe. I was pretty young. And since then, I don't think we've missed a single year my dad and I have watched it together Mm -hmm. because it's also the story of a father and a daughter, too. Right, right. And so we have watched it every summer together. And, you know, I've, the James Horner soundtrack, I've gone on and bought that. And um, now when I watch it, the last couple, maybe the last 10 years, I cannot get through the ending Mm -hmm. without hysterically sobbing. We're not talking just like no like <laughs> like like hyperventilating why do you crying. think that is. I think it's for you particularly, I know why America does you know. Yeah, I'm I'm for me, I'm an only child and mm-hmm. I'm very close to my parents and we always always sort of operate as like a little unit. Mm-hmm. Um obviously you've been around my parents, you know this. Yes. But um and I'm And in my brain, I feel like I'm going to cry talking about this, but in my brain, I feel like my parents are going to live forever. Yeah. And they're, like, always going to be there for me. And obviously, that's not how life goes. So um, I'm thankful to have both of them with me. Um, But when he, when Kevin Costner's character, like, obviously, we're jumping way to the end of the book, Mm -hmm. sees that this is all to bring, give him a second chance with his father Mm -hmm. to, like, mend what they never, you know, he never got to fix. Um, and when they, he introduces him to, um, his family, he introduces him as John and says, yeah. my dad yeah. and he like stops himself and obviously, um, Annie and Karen leave and he takes that moment to say, Hey dad, want to have a catch? Mm-hmm. And that's like such a powerful moment. And he doesn't, you know, say no or just, you know, look at him funny and that's what they do. And that just strikes a chord with me because you don't get those second chances, mm-hmm. you know, with your with your parents or with whomever once they're out of your life. So um, the fact that he gets that, I think, is so magical. And the movie is about magic, but it's not it's not you know it's not hitting you over the head with it. And there's yeah. not they don't really explain the magic no. either, which I love. Um, so it's and I watch it every year without fail. And, uh, I'm getting like misty eyed talking about it cause Aww. I love it so much. Um, and it's funny, some of my favorite movies aren't even horror movies. Like, like yeah. people say, what's your favorite movie? I say back to the future. Right. Like that. <laughs> but, um, so anyways, there's, uh, a lot to, t- I'm very excited to talk about it cause I yeah. never get to talk about
0: it. <laughs> well, I, I want to, I want to touch on something that you brought up already, which is the, um, the, The way the magic is demonstrated visually. Because I was thinking about how um, around this time-ish, maybe even a little later, because Ghost is like 90, Yeah, this is 89. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but you know, like... The one thing that really, well, there's a lot of stuff that stands out to me about a movie like Ghost um, that dates it. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, like, the story still really works and the movie still really works. But the ghosts, like, look like, you know, ooh, (laughs) you know what I mean? There's, like, the the not quite pinnacle of visual effects on display. And so, something that is interesting to me is the notion that. You know, you have the players, when they walk into the cornfield, they just slowly fade away. Mm-hmm. Which, like, fine. That's totally, you know, that that gets the point across. I don't need any more. But I do think it is an interesting choice that they don't, they look like people. Yep. They, the only thing that is different about them is their, their dated clothing. Yeah. But, like, they don't, they can't. Operate. They can't fly. They can't, you know, there's no sheen on them. They don't, their the coloring is enough. They're just yep. like people out of a different time that are here. Yes. And that's a, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. That is a distinct visual choice. That was
1: interesting to me this time yeah. around. And they, I know, so, um, Phil Robinson, the director who also wrote it and adapted it from the book Shoeless Joe, mm-hmm. um, by Bill, Bill Kinsella, and the only, he stayed very true to the book, so the only things that were changed in the book, um, or changed in, from the movie to the book, or book to the movie, was, um, it was J.D. Salinger. Yes. Instead of, uh, she, uh, instead of Terrence Mann, who they just mm. completely made up, and the father comes back in the, about the middle of the book, and mm. it's not a surprise. So, Interesting. You know, that's something they made. You know, and he obviously talked to the author about it, and they made a conscious choice. And the other thing was, obviously, the title. Mm-hmm. Um, the studio didn't want to call it Shoeless Joe. and or she, Yeah, they were like, we don't want to call it Shoeless Joe. And there was a big list of titles. And he saw Field of Dreams on there. He's like, oh, Field of Dreams, I don't know how I feel about that. And then he called up the author and was like, hey, we need to change the title. And without prompting him, the title, he's like, oh, that's okay. Like, the, the, the publisher actually wanted to call it Shoeless Joe. That wasn't my choice. And... He said, uh, "You know, my title would have been Dream Field," mm-hmm. and then he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, Field of Dreams needs to be the so title of the works. movie." So that works. So that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, and and I love the fact that they don't look like ghosts and that they are real people from this other, you know, time period. And even the music cues. There's like when they're having their first game, you sort of hear like big bang music that would have yeah. been happening. Yeah. Um, uh, big Bang, Sorry, not big bang big, big band music. So, um, and the choice to just have them sort of dissolve into the core. And even there's that beautiful, like panning shot mm-hmm. as like, you know, really as shoeless Joe is, is disappearing. And I know James Earl Jones had like asked Phil, like where, what happens, like right. what happens when I go into yeah. it? And he's like, I don't, I don't really have an answer to that. Cause I don't, I don't know. He's cause he's like, do I die? Do I he's like, no, I d I don't think you die. And he and he's like, what's cause what's my reaction to it? He's like, maybe, maybe it tickle maybe it tickles uh-huh. you. You know, so that's why he gives this laugh as he's like reaching in and James Earl Jones said, Oh maybe I, I go in and then like, you know, cut to X number of years later and a little paper airplane comes like flying out of it. He's like, raised mowing the grass, and a paper airplane comes by, and it's my story Mm. in it, you know, which I was like, oh, man, that's so cool to think about. Um, But I love that they made that choice. I love that, you know, that moment when, you know, Doc Graham crosses over, Mm -hmm. Archie Graham crosses over the line and becomes, because it's like the, the field itself, like the minute they step foot on that, that's when they're sort of in this other reality sort of. And the minute they come out of that, like you have to go back to the way you were, you know, you have to leave. Um, very, very powerful.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, did you notice, um, did you, so I think, I think about, I was thinking about Guillermo del Toro of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times when he includes ghosts in his movies, he refers to them as benign messengers. Ah, uh-huh. and, um, you know, of course that can, they can still be scary and they can still, you know, um, uh, they can still look horrifying, but if you think about Crimson Peak, or if you think about Devil's Backbone, if you think about these movies, these ghosts appear, but they're really trying to warn the living people about the danger that they're about to mm-hmm. go into. They're not trying to hurt them or or haunt them. Yeah. And in a, and this is a different kind of that vision, version of that. But I I thought about that kind of too. Like these these spirits are are delivering information, or they're not warning necessarily, but they are teaching. The lesson yes, from yes. from afar, you know, and they are even though they the concept of a ghost is scary, they they are benign messengers. And I think about how something else that's interesting about this is yes, there is the disbelief that all mm-hmm. of the um, like Kevin Costner and his family feel at first at the notion, but then when they see it, they're like, oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, oh well, yeah. yeah. Well, this makes sense. And it, it's it's cool it's, in a way.
1: And it's sort of like, I love that, well, even Karen like says to Shoeless Joe, the daughter, um, are you a ghost? He's like, well, what do you think? Well, you look real to me. And I I love that. I do think that the moment when James Earl Jones is sort of giving his speech about mm-hmm. people will come, and you sort of see the players approaching, they just stop playing and start walking yeah. behind. Like, that is a moment that, is a little ever so slightly spooky Uh only because he's like, he's talking about the power of the sport. The like, how people get so nostalgic for baseball when they were children Mm -hmm. and, you know, describing the smells and the feels and like all that stuff of experiencing it. And it almost is like, it's not quite a, he's not quite, he's not quite preaching, but it's almost like this, you know, I'm going to tell you this tale, come listen, Right. you know, come, you know, stating it for everyone. And that's, of course, then prompts the, the brother eventually sees that, you know, right. And, but that moment is so, and that's, and that's, that's the reason James Earl Jones took the movie was because of that speech. Right. So that is set in his delivery is so amazing. And, uh, and you're like, yeah, mm hmm, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I believe everything that he says yeah. for sure. Oh, and, and also what you were saying about the family is really <clears throat> interesting because Karen, or not Karen, um, Annie, and I and I love, so I love Kevin Costner's um, character, Ray's relationship with his daughter, and when they're out on the tractor and he's telling her yeah. all the baseball stories, and I love that because my dad would tell me those stories. And also, I love, um, Uh, Amy Madigan's character so much. Mm -hmm. I think Annie is such a badass, but she also is like, this is kind of crazy. And they both acknowledge that they're like, this is so weird. This is completely bizarre. I don't know how to feel about this, but are we gonna... Yeah, I guess we can see it. Like, Like you were saying, it's here. And that moment, there's that big switch when Annie... And Ray share the dream. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I had a dream because she's like, No, 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 we're not. You're not going. You're not leaving. What are you talking about? And then they, there's that thing he says that makes it click in her brain. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute, were you see, sitting here? Were you, you're eating hot dog. I had the same dream. I had that dream. Okay, yes, that's a, this is like a more powerful yeah. thing now that we have to acknowledge. And she never. She's doubt needs to doubt when she needs to doubt. She believes when she needs to believe. She, I think, she keeps him grounded. But still lets him go off and do this and is then back home dealing with the consequences, but isn't about to like squash that quite yet. That right. comes a little bit later when he's like, We're coming home. And she's like, Okay, great, because we're going to lose our farm. Yeah. Um, and I also think it's like such an interesting commentary on his, like he says, I'm scared I'm going to turn into my father. Like mm-hmm. I'm scared of, and I think it's something I think a lot of people fear of like, Oh, you know when you get married and have kids, you fall into this ritual and you'll never be spontaneous again and it's his chance to do something spontaneous. And I think that is a really interesting um, subject matter he's dealing with, paralleled with um, Terrence Mann having been this huge icon in the 60s, creating Make Love, Not War. And then how is he adapting to now? What is he experiencing? Like he was this huge icon and now he's trying to find a place. And, And, you know, that stuff isn't as relevant anymore. Like how do I find my place after being this icon when the times are changing so much? Um, so they're both sort of in these interesting situations that I feel like they really get to explore in the movie, which I love.
0: Yeah. I was, um, so I, I had, uh, I had two things, but, um, with respect to, Okay, so I want to make a comparison that is crazy and probably has (laughs) never been made, but I think if anybody would appreciate it, it would be you. Um, I thought a lot about The Shining while I was watching this movie. Oh, interesting. And the reason is because I think that, now granted, there are different metaphors at play, but I think what you're seeing is a father who is... um, uh, part of a family unit and is grappling and struggling with how he fits into that mm-hmm. family unit and what that family unit says about the rest of his life. Yeah. And ghosts and demons represent different things to both of these fathers. But something that's always oh, yeah. like annoyed me about And it's part of the reason why I like Ray is because Ray is doing this crazy thing and he hears what his wife is saying. And his wife is supporting him, but his wife is also like, we have to be realistic. And he doesn't resent her for that. He doesn't, you know, lash out at her for that. He doesn't let the ghosts take over, like, play into his dark side because of that. He sort of is just like, I hear you, I understand, but... You know, I'm so excited, and let me tell you. And she's like, okay, fine. Whereas, you know, when I think about the... I just feel like it's very easy in film, because this is a dude movie in a lot of ways. Mm, uh, I mean, obviously, it's one of your favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that women do not have... But dudes love this movie, but this is <laughs> like a, this is like a, you know, have a catch, and then, like, every man in America cries, essentially, right? So I say that because I feel like over the years... It's refreshing to hear, just know that there are a group of, there are men that relate to this character. Mm-hmm. Because for so many years, every, I've had to talk about The Shining yes. and all of this shit. And it's like, well, you know, I just, uh, Jax feels sad and he's unco- he's like bummed out. And it's like, Jack's a dick. And like, <laughs> you know, let's not blame, don't blame his wife and his kid for uh-huh. him being a fuck up. Yeah. And so anyway, I know that's quite a leap, but I actually like really thought about the parallels. Yeah, well,
1: it's, cause it's, you know, to, what is it? Two sides of the same coin. It's yeah, totally. Abs- it's like, this could go one way or it could go the <laughs> yeah, other this way. This could go two and ways. Think, and I And I love that. The other thing I love about Ray and, because it's their relationship that helps you buy into all this. Yes. And his relationship with his daughter. And there's never a moment where you doubt their love for each other. Totally. Like they, when she tells him, they have that moment on the bed where she's like, I think if this is what you want to do, I think you should do it. And as crazy as it sounds, which in the realm of things isn't that crazy, but, um, and he's, he's, it's his midlife crisis. It's Mm -hmm. like, instead of buying the car or whatnot, he's going to build a baseball field. And that moment they have afterwards and that delivery is like so beautiful and like, um, is so just, wonderful to me. Also, I'm really glad you I, I was scared for a second you were going to say close encounters, but thank God you no. Oh no. No no no. No, no. No. Um no, But and also like the little things like that are in the movie that the more I watch it, the, obviously there's something I see something new every time, but uh, and them, I think I love them as people, as human beings so much cuz a I I find them to be real and they're having real conversations and even that scene in the kitchen like from a filmmaker perspective. Yes. Um, the DP um, John Lindley I want to get his name right because he is masterful at also telling story through cinematography Uh and like he they have that shot in the kitchen where Amy like him working with Phil they're telling this camera's pretty pretty much locked off and the actors are sinking like in and out walking in and out of the scene as they're putting things down they're not like on anyone's line like it's so beautifully choreographed and how everything's fucking lit in the baseball field and everyone looks beautiful. And I really like the, I watched it, rewatched it recently. I was actually paying attention to like the technical side of things. Cause I've seen it so many times. Um, and even, like, the production design. Like, there's an Andy Warhol in their house. Yes, I did. not Yeah. Like, those little touches where I'm like, oh, yeah, they're, like, really hip. Like, my parents are like that. Well, so, I think that's another reason I relate to that this movie so much, as they remind me so much of my parents. I mean, obviously. Like, my mother's name is Annie. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's not, that's, yes. Yeah, um, and you've met them, so you know. And also, she's wearing, like, my mom would have, like, a quirky clothes. She's wearing, like, a bullfighter shirt and a Christmas sweater and, like, all this, like, you know, goofy, fun things. Um, and also she like knows how to tell someone off when yeah. you know that the PTA meeting yes. about burning books and like you know which I see a lot of my mom in that character too. Right. So
0: there's a well then the Reaganomics of it also this movie coming out in the 8 in the late 80s and and po- you know post Reagan and um and these hippies and 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 I think it's funny like I wonder if Field of Dreams for all the things that Field of Dreams represents I wonder, it's. I wonder what happened to Annie and Ray. Like I think Annie and Ray are probably still Annie and Ray, but mm-hmm. like you know, there is a duality between um, Annie's brother, who is like works yes. for the man, and like is, it's, and he's trying to be the mediator. And but he cares about them. He, he like, does wants
1: to help them. Yes, but but
0: he also is saying you know, think about the money, money, I'm offering you money, you're being irresponsible, like, and the, the Warhol in the, in the, in the, um, in the house. And like, they're always talking about the sixties and going to Berkeley and like all this stuff. And, and what happens to those people when those people grow up, like considering where we are now Mm -hmm. in 2019 and where those people have sort of, Led us yeah. as a country, and what their values appear to to represent, and like what happened from when they were kids and optimistic, and in the mm-hmm. in the '60s, and then what happened through the '80s, yeah. and then now where we are now. It's like it's a really, it's a very fascinating. Like you could you could tell something very contemporary through this film today um, that would have I think it would it, it still applies
1: in yes. a way. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, Don't you have a story? Oh, I have a story. I do have a story. Yes. Um, uh, A Doc Graham story. Okay. Um, So, obviously, been a huge fan of this movie since I can remember. Um, When we were casting All That We Destroy, Mm -hmm. um, there's a role of Parker, who you'll get to see who Parker is later on. And when we were casting... (coughs) Um, I had a specific actor in mind. I wanted Frank Whaley. Mm -hmm. And in Field of Dreams, Frank Whaley plays the young Archibald Graham, the young Doc Graham. And he Frank Whaley. He knew Jason Blum, obviously Blumhouse is part of the Into the Dark series. And Jason reached out to him and obviously sent him the script and he really loved it. And, happened to be free. It was one day of shooting Mm -hmm. and I talked to him on the phone beforehand. I was so nervous to talk to him, but I called him up and he was really nice and I was freaking out (laughs) and and I I feel like I rarely get starstruck, but there are just a couple people that, um, like Kevin Costner, I would get starstruck. Sure. But a lot of times for me, it's like DPs and editors and things like that. Like the people you don't normally see out in the open. But, um, uh, so he agreed to the movie. He came. It was our last day of shooting. It was the one day, and it was a long day. And he and he acted with Samantha Mathis, and it was the first time they'd been together, I think, since, like, Broken Arrow. So it was a reunion oh, wow. for them. And he was so lovely. Obviously, there was tons of dialogue. So we were shooting all these scenes mm. basically all in a row wow. that they had together. And um, after it was over, I went up to him and... I said, so I'm going to, thank you so much for doing this. I'd love to just fangirl out for two seconds. And I just wanted to tell you um, that I have loved Field of Dreams since I can remember. And Field of Dreams was like his first or second movie. Mm-hmm. Like he hadn't really done anything feature-wise um, yet. And I said, and he's said, oh, thank you so much. Like I feel like not, maybe, not many people mentioned field of dreams to him. It's always Pulp Fiction or swimming with sharks sure. and things like that. And I said, yeah, um, the moment in field of dreams when you're hitchhiking and Kevin Costner and James Earl Jones pick you up and they start driving and you, you know, they're having some small talk and you say your name, you say, I'm Archie Graham and they realize that you're the young version of Doc Graham. Um, and that they have, it's the presence of sort of magic with them. And I said, that moment of hearing you say, I'm Archie Graham, and watching James Earl Jones and Kevin Costner, look, they have that look to each other, like, oh shit, whoa. Um, how that moment made me feel emotionally is one of the reasons I wanted to make movies. Mm. I wanted to be able to recreate that um, for my audience and give them, that amazing connection that you feel like deep in your bones and he looked at me and he's like that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me uh-huh. in my life uh-huh. and I said um well, again thank you so much for doing this movie would you please sign my dvd I never ask people to do this I never asked this but I, I was like who knows if I'll ever get this opportunity again to to work yeah. with him or talk to him and so I brought it for you to look at. I'm so um, glad you did. He wrote, he's like, "Of course I'll sign it." And he wrote to Chelsea, a brilliant filmmaker. You built it; it came. Oh, uh-huh. love your fan, Frank Whaley. So now I'm crying, Chelsea. So I had also mentioned to him that it had taken me like 10 years to get a movie made. Yeah. And so that's why one of the reasons he said that quote. And he handed it to me, and I started to cry. <laughs> And I'm like, I read it and I was like, oh my God. And then yes. I gave it to Sean and Sean, my boyfriend, and he started crying. He also wrote the movie, um, although we just dry, so he started crying. Um so, That's uh, so cool. And then he's like, and then Frank said, so when are we gonna do it again? When's the next thing? <laughs> so um, I'm very, you know, I think as filmmakers and creatives, we are so I think a lot of times when we're around these you know we get to work with people we idolize yeah. and people that we've followed their careers or that have inspired us yeah. and rarely do we get a moment like that or to to meet someone and a lot of times you feel like oh you know I shouldn't you know gush about their movie I shouldn't talk about that stuff and you make a point I've been very conscious of this to like not geek out about stuff to not talk about stuff like if I met John Carpenter I'd talk about the Lakers like you know to not overwhelm them with like the fandom that they're constantly surrounded by but then I feel like in a situation like this I wanted to tell him that he like literally his performance in that movie is one of the reasons I want to make movies. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you don't always get that chance. Like, I never got a chance to meet Wes Craven. Like, there are so many things I would have loved to have said to him or George Romero or, like... And so I was like, when you get these opportunities, you know, sometimes you gotta say, like, fuck it and, and do it. And I think his reaction, like... And also, I'm telling, like, a real, true, genuine story to him, and he knew that and how personal it was to me and how much it meant to me. And I think he recognized that because a lot of people could be a total dick about it, be like, "Oh, that's nice," but he understood like what it meant to me. And I was like, "He's the first person I went out to. Like, I specifically wanted him for yeah. the role," and he uh, and he knew that too.
0: I think too, the difference between fandom and appreciation there there is something more refined and specific to appreciation and also the fact that as an, as like somebody who is a creative talking to somebody else who is a creative, you know, I think, um, I, I think that there is a time and a place to tell another person you appreciate their work and it doesn't have to be like, can I take a selfie? Can I have... It? You know, and maybe maybe it is a picture. Maybe it is... I don't know. I'm just saying, like, there are appropriate ways to meet your idols. Yeah. And there are appropriate... And I, you know, I think there, if anything the whole point is there's no time like the present. You can't get those moments back. And you know my Wes Craven story, Mm -hmm. but basically I was right in front of him and our our mutual friend Ryan Turek was there, like knows him and he was looking overwhelmed and I didn't approach and said and so when Wes left, I told Ryan, like the next time we're in the same place together, I want you to introduce me and I want to take a picture with him. And he said, absolutely. And then Wes died. Yeah,
1: I was with you. I was next to you when that happened. yeah, Yeah.
0: And I remember And I tell that story because that was the moment where I learned, no, I am going to tell the people because I, those, you can take those moments for granted. And by the way, if you sincerely like say to somebody, I appreciate your work and they are rude to you, then guess what? That is their fucking problem. You're not, if there, there are, and I mean that we know the difference between being respectful and not being respectful. And, um... And also, we know the difference between like somebody being in a public, like meaning like if you're at a QA and a and Wes Craven is there, if any time there is a time <laughs> to like tell that person yes. that, it's that, not when they're sitting at dinner and you go yes, up to their yes. table and interrupt their meal because that feels a little bit like a selfish act, you know? Yeah. But like to to communicate in an appropriate environment, I think is is totally appropriate. And it's, and how, and By the way, like what he wrote here is so incredibly beautiful that personal and personal. And if our fear kept, if your fear kept you from that, that is not worth it. This is totally worth it, you know? So, and I'm really glad that he
1: was lovely and that he, he he responded. I've been very lucky with the talent I've worked with, um, and, you know, on All the Way to Destroy, also Samantha Mathis, yeah. who I'm a huge fan of. And from, you know, American Psycho to Pump Up the Volume and um, Little Women. Like, yeah. You know, I have loved her movies. And so getting to work with her and then obviously like Dora from Friday Night Lights and Israel and Happy Death Day and, and Aurora, who I knew I worked with on Gem and the Holograms and um, who's a fucking movie star. And then Satanic Panic also like yeah. Modine and Rebecca Romaine and Jerry O'Connell. And, you know, um, I've been very lucky and, you know, like everyone's been so cool and even interactions like at Blumhouse, you know, meeting Ethan Hawke, who it's yeah. like and Jason, of course, had to like we are the purge premiere. And he's like he knew I liked Ethan and always thought Ethan was like really cute. So he's like, Ethan, Ethan, come here. Come here. I want you to meet my assistant, Chelsea. She really likes you. She, like, thinks you're really cute and, like, loves your movies. I was oh like, no.
0: Oh, my no. God.
1: Thanks, Dad. Jason, how could you do that? <laughs> and he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, hello. Yeah. Hi. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he was so lovely and so sweet and so wonderful. Um, and, but it also helps when you're Jason Blum's assistant. Like, people were rarely a dick to me. Sure. Um, I've only had one sort of not-so-great um interaction with someone um who I was a huge fan of and that sort of crushed me but at the same time I was like you know what not everyone has an on day right and I didn't take it I was like not gonna take it personally yeah it's fine yeah don't care um and also you brought up a very good point which is funny I didn't even think about it but talking to someone as having just directed them yeah versus being an assistant or being a this or that I I, I didn't think about it that way but now as as a almost appear in a way. Yeah. The conversation kind of changes a little bit when you're having talking to people about and that.
0: And I think the fact that you completed the day Oh yeah, before, we're done.
1: an hour early. I mean, <laughs> of course. Of course
0: you were early or of course you were an hour early on your <laughs> Micro budget first feature. Of course, you were. There's no. There was never a person more prepared to make a movie <laughs> than you, Chelsea. I know this. I know this from personal experience. Um, I. Uh, there was one more thing that I wanted to mention. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. So this is. This is the the second time in the last year that I've watched this movie. I watched it last spring because I knew this was your movie and. Um, this is a weird movie. Yeah. D- like like I just I think we need to take a step back because this movie is part of your DNA. It so is. it's like I but this movie is not a part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. And I literally wrote down once we got to the la- final act, how do you pitch this? Like yes. how do you pitch this to Kevin Costner, how do you go to, how, how do you get money from a studio? I mean, I know it was based on a book, so it was, like, pre-existing and, like, yeah, baseball. But, like, no. This movie is all over the place. Yeah. And... And there's, by the way, that's not a criticism. It's just an observation of like knowing how this industry works and knowing that it's like that executives, it's like their job to be confused. Mm -hmm. Wait, I don't understand. So what happens? And it's, I mean, I just, I'm amazed that this movie exists yeah. and also that it connected with so many people. So many people. Because this is not a cult film. No. And that this type of movie could have easily been a cult favorite. Yep. But this was this was a smash. This was huge.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting because um, the director talks a lot about, you, you know, he discusses a lot of... Um, The audiences seeing it like they tested the movie a lot, which is what they do with, you know, studio movies like this and the budget that they had for this movie too, like, you know, (laughs) um, obviously the field still exists, but they like built and shot interior and exterior in the actual house, which is still there. The Iowa was having a huge drought. They, they brought in water. Wow. for the. They were the only cornfield around because Iowa was going through this huge, huge drought. And so, you know, they were watering the corn and then they had to mow over the corn Oof. where, like, other farmers, like, couldn't, even grow, form, minds, couldn't even grow sure. corn. Were losing their minds, I'm And then they kind of forgot that corn, like, tassels and stuff. So it, like, looks different towards the end of the movie. And then they were, because it was, they were going through the hottest... You know, one of the hottest summers. Then they had to spray paint the corn, and because it was, you know, um, I read on the grass, the grass, right? yes, yeah, yeah. And the, oh yeah, you can see in the grass, like they're spray painting the corn, but you can see the grass starting to die in the field, and and they also, you know, obviously test audience audiences are really important, but even the line in the movie of like where he says, "Hey dad, do you want to have a catch?" The "Hey dad" line wasn't in there. Audiences mm. saw it and they were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." He never says, like, yeah. dad or makes that verbal yeah. – they wanted the verbal connection. They, Because, you know, he says, this is my – you know, yeah, this, this is John. John. And before it was like, do you want to have a catch? And they're like, no. Mm-hmm. Are you telling us that he's not going to say dad? What? Like, yeah. people lost their minds. And they changed it, and it completely changed the score. Yeah, went through the roof, and they're like, okay, we're good. Like, we got it. Um, that to me was, I was like, oh, crazy, like really interesting. But yeah, the movie is so, it's it's so beautifully made. And obviously like you have this incredible, I know I mentioned it before, the score that just mm-hmm. blows my mind, especially how the score progresses throughout the movie. And it's sort of these tones at first and then becomes orchestral. And um, it's just one of the most, I know everyone talks about when it comes to movies like this, is the natural for a score. Uh, but this to me is the definitive like, sports movie score, aside from maybe Explosions in the Sky and Mm -hmm. the Friday Night Lights TV show and the movie. But um, it's, to yeah, it's really, as much as it like resonates today, I think getting it made, but as we were talking about before we started recording, there are so many things that you probably couldn't get made today. Like a studio wouldn't necessarily green light it. it. Yes, the book helps a ton. Sure. Um, But, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, strange (coughs) and and even one of the things I love is that like if you watch through the credits it says for our parents Mm -hmm. which I thought was like very obviously another reason it resonates a lot with me but I was like oh
0: man well and it is a sincere heartfelt like I read uh I think it was Richard Roper wrote about, gave the movie a bad review, um, and said it's like something, you know, to the effect of like, it's the, it's the weepiest of sure. yep. like yep. man movies that you could yep. possibly imagine. And of the sports movies, it, it's having like
1: Rudy, but yeah, yeah, right. yeah,
0: Exactly. And I could, I could see that, but I will say that and even if, you know, now that we're 50 minutes in, I can tell you, even if I might agree with that just a little bit, um, it feels sincere. Yes. It doesn't, you know yes. what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel like anybody on that production went, okay, and now here's the moment where we have to make them cry. No. Honestly, the moment wasn't even in the movie. The audience has begged for it. Do yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, that is something that I appreciate about this movie, is how, you know, it's earnest. And Genuine. It's,
1: it's never manipulated. No, it's no. And he, they even said, um, I, hi, I highly recommend for filmmakers or otherwise to listen to this commentary or up-and-coming filmmakers because they talk so much about physically making the movie. Yeah. And it's um, John Lindley and uh, Phil Robinson doing the um, commentary. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they talk about making the movie. They talk about rehearsals. They talk about so much that it's such an education that comes with this. Some commentaries don't do that, but this one's incredible. And they were saying that without even that line being in it, the mm-hmm. hey, dad, filming that scene at the end with, um, uh, I believe the actor's name's Dwyer. Yeah, Dwyer Brown, who plays his dad. Um, the crew was, like, choking up. Like, yeah. everyone was watching their performance and the subtleties in Dwyer. Like, Dwyer's barely in the, yeah. in the movie for, like like, three minutes. His performance was so you know subtle and there's so much packed into it and also like with Kevin Costner you can tell how much they're loving that moment together yeah. yeah and that's the thing though yes is it super weepy of course but what you're absolutely right I think the the only reason you get away with it yes is because it is genuine and yes. because it is sincere um and uh one of the reasons it makes it great yep and I love it so much yep I, um,
0: okay last thing before we move on and you get to add a movie to the list oh yes uh, uh, there the, it's been a holly I know and Rufus is of course eating <laughs> and making tons of noise but you it's know okay Rufus does what, this is Rufus's house it's and he okay. lets me sleep here um, so uh, the the voice. Who is the voice? The voice. Uh, I have, I I did a little, I I won't say I did any intense sleuthing, but I did some light sleuthing. And uh, one one option, it makes sense, but has it been confirmed since uh, I've
1: last Googled it? Or who do you think the voice is? Um, I actually have a note here about the voice. Okay. um, That they, it's to me when you listen to it, and this is something they were intending to do, it is a real voice not the quote unquote voice of god mm-hmm. like it never feels like that and i also right. say they talk about it in the commentary which is really interesting to hear they talk about how they recorded it for the film to give it a specific sound which if you watch if you listen to the commentary they'll explain how they do that but um i was gosh i might have this backwards but i thought it was shulish joe okay joe's voice cuz it was either his or Dwyer Brown's but I think it's supposed to be prompted from because Shulish Joe at the end says the lines right. he's, how, how would anyone else know he right. says if you build it he will come go the distance mm-hmm. Like he, he's mm-hmm. the only one who would know so that, that's where it's coming from because um, I think that's the only time it's ever said outside of, hearing it. of him hearing it mm-hmm. and he's the only one who actually hears the voice I'm trying to think if I did any more but who it voices the voice Um, it is credited as himself Uh in the credits. They don't say, and I actually don't think I remember offhand. Well, uh, I don't know if this is true or not. It's never really
0: been confirmed. I don't even think it's in the commentary. Yeah, it's never, I think it's still never been confirmed. Um, but the rumor is Amy Madigan's husband... Yes, Ed Harris. I have to The heard great this. Ed yes. Harris is the voice. Yeah. I have to um, that. And, and when you think about it, I'm just like, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I can see that. Mm-hmm. And he does have this. So he's just, I don't know. And I mean, it is manipulated, I'm sure. Is that what you're talking about when you say in the commentary track, like they recorded in yeah, a certain it's how way? how they
1: recorded it. Um, and God, I think they actually might say who it is in the commentary. And I may, maybe was like spacing out. I've listened to it, listened to it a long time ago. Um, and how they recorded it and then played it like recorded it in a studio and then played it outside and uh, re-recorded sure. it and yeah. then play, so they they like really wanted to, to make give it, it fe- that airy yes. like echoey a little ethereal yeah, too totally. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i can yeah, see yeah. that
0: um, but yes the rumor is that it is Ed Harris oh that's awesome. Uh, so who knows if that's true maybe we'll never know but I, love that. I totally buy that i think i read from somewhere else too like I think Ray Liotta, I think Ray Liotta has said, like, no, it's not me. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and not
1: like, wink, wink. He's just like, no, I don't, not me. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll, I should rewatch the commentary again, because I'm almost positive that they, like, talk about how yeah. they, who, what,
0: I But can't I can't did remember. do some Googling about this. I and love, I hope still, that's it, because I love that. Yeah, it's still <laughs> a mystery. So um, I thought that was kind of a fun little, a fun little tease. Um, all right, well. Um, are there any other, anything else about this movie in particular that
1: you want to say before we move Oh, man, on? I think I've covered it. I think everyone's probably like, oh, God, stop talking about it. No, that's me. why they're here. It's just, for some reason, like, sports movies have always just um, struck a chord for me. Like, even, I, I was looking at my, I made a list off the top of my head. Um, and that... And I was like, it started with this one, League of Their Own, and Mighty Ducks.
0: Uh huh. Mighty Ducks. So a huge for sure. Mighty
1: Ducks fan when I was younger. Were you ever a
0: Sandlot fan?
1: I love Sandlot. Yeah. Yep. Love there's Sandlot. a lot of
0: similarities. Yes. And I mean that is intentional. Like Sandlot yeah. is definitely pulling the best parts. I mean even down to James Earl Jones yes. for God's sake. Like that's yes. not an accident. No. No. The the voiceover narration and like there's there because as a kid who grew up watching The Sandlot. I mean, I have it... I mean, it is imprinted in my brain and in my heart. Watching this movie, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I see where the Sandlot just totally pulled straight from Field of Dreams. Which is, by the way, if you're going to emulate a
1: a baseball movie, I think you could do a lot worse. Yeah. And I think, like, that... um, God, Sandlot. God, I haven't seen Sandlot in forever. I should rewatch it. It's a delight. It's very sweet. And also, there... You know, sports movies are such great casting, like Miracle with Kurt Russell. Yes. And yes, yes. Um, oh. I think you were brought up Team Arnold, but I love Rocky.
0: Yes, Stallone. I like, was brought know. up Team Arnold. That's right. Well, and also, by the way, hello Kevin Costner and Tin Cup. Oh yes. Oh yes. my God. Totally. I will say I love him in Tin Cup. I think, I come from a family of golfers, um, and my mm-hmm. parents golf, mm-hmm. but they love Tin Cup. And like as I watch it, I'm like. I, I, I love this. Yeah. I
1: love this one a yeah. lot. It's pretty good. Oh, and also, um, I remember watching Field of Dreams, and I had asked my dad about Shoeless Joe. Yeah. And I was talking to my, my very best friend since kindergarten, Sadie, and she had told me, she's like, oh, I saw this movie Eight Men Out, and I was a huge John Cusack fan for uh-huh. a long time when I was younger. And she's like, John Cusack is in it. We should watch it. And my dad had mentioned the movie, and I was like, oh, holy shit. This is, like, this is the story. Because I was super young then I didn't connect all the dots. Sure. like, what? Like, my mind was blown when I watched
0: that. I love it. I, yeah, it's, there's a, there's some, I, you know, it's funny, I'm not, like, not a sports fan, or a movie sports person, but I also don't, it's kind of a blind spot. Like, I don't,
1: I just, um, I, and maybe, and hey, it could come from raising sled dogs, like being brought up with that and, you know, parents who are sports fans. um, But I've always, you know, most of them I see in the theaters still, though we don't really have that many nowadays. Yeah, it's so true. We have one cinema, like Friday Night Lights was the last, like the show was Mm -hmm. really the last thing I think that's coming to mind right now. But um, it's such a
0: weird time for American sports, though. Yeah, it really is. I mean, like, you know, there's, that's, a, that's a
1: whole separate conversation. It, it really, really <laughs> is.
0: But, you know, there I, I think there are a lot of people who believe that, um, you know, American football is has a is going to go through some big changes in the next 10 to 15 years. Yep. And uh, soccer mm-hmm. uh, or football around the world, like, is becoming more and more popular. But Mainstream audiences have to, like, get on board. When I say mainstream audiences, I mean, uh, let's just say, forget I said mainstream. Let's just say American Mm -hmm. audiences have to get on board. But, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I'm trying to think about if I had any sports movies growing up,
1: aside from The Sandlot, that I loved. Well, I will say that that one of the reasons I, you know, I will stop talking about racing sled dogs, but one of the things I loved about sled dog racing was... That is one of the only sports, maybe the only sport, that is not gender divided. Yeah. It is. There's no difference. You can race as a man and race as a woman, and you're racing the same race, same dogs, all that stuff. There is no difference, even with, like, the Iditarod. So it's Mm -hmm. like... One of the only, granted, it's not like an Olympic classified sport, but you are competing as a woman also with a man. Right. So it's, there's no separation, which I think is pretty powerful and pretty awesome.
0: I cannot, (laughs) you know what? It is just escaping me, but I literally wrote it down in like general conversation because I was talking to somebody, God, who was I talking to? I can't remember, but she brought up the idea of men and women not competing with each other. Um... In some ways, because if the women started winning, what would happen? And I was like, oh man, I that thought never entered my mind. But as soon as she said it, I was like, like. <laughs> that is. Probably exactly it. Yeah, a I a mean, lot to unpack. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot. Yeah, you're gonna make a sports movie or two. I'm planning on it. Can't can't say what it is, but uh, yeah, I'm stoked about it. Yep, and I think I think that there's gonna be some sports that'll sneak into some things. Yes, uh, I down think the line. So, yeah. yeah. Um Okay. Well, everybody gets to add a movie to the list that's not on the list. So Chelsea started us. What is your
1: movie? Um, I have four. Okay. (laughs) You are allowed. You are allowed. Um, mostly because like the only time I ever am asked to do like top favorite, what's your favorite horror movie? What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? The only time I can say my favorite movie is like back to the future. It's the only time I'll ever list one. I always end up listing more than one. They change all the time, but I really thought about the list and I, there's, I'll, I'll sort of explain. So because I chose a sports movie, I sports quote unquote, I wanted to throw in a suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see Whip It.
0: Love Whip It. Love that movie. Yeah, yes. I would love to see
1: that. Um, I
0: really like that movie. Yeah,
1: f- amazing female cast. Drew Barrymore directing yes. it. Yes, I mean it's it's. I just don't think that movie gets enough credit. Also, Roller Derby, which obviously Sean's sister does. His yes. nieces do. It's there's a community of it here in LA, and it is r- like. Incredible athleticism, and I think that movie is similar to Field of Dreams because it has so much heart to it, yes. and it is so genuine, and it just oh, it makes my heart just like sing watching that movie. Yeah. Um. And and also, a daughter's relationship with her father, mm-hmm. and Daniel Stern, who was like the voice of my childhood. Oh my God, he and was
0: so good in Whippet.
1: He's so great. Yeah. And their relationship, which is very similar to like my relationship with my dad, yeah. and like, you know. There's so much of that movie I love, and I just think it's so underrated, and not enough people talk about yes. it, and I think it's such an important movie. Um, and uh, so that's my big one. But I also had On Brand. I was yes. like, okay, well, On Brand for horror, I don't think this is on any of the lists, but apologies if I'm wrong, um, David Fincher is seven. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not, and yeah. it's so good. Because I think that movie's flawless. Yes. Um, and... Also, I ha- you know, I put that on par with like Silence of the Lambs. I was like, you can oh, have that God, movie on yes. this. You should have this movie. You should have seven on this. And having watched that with commentary and yeah, is, is an education in itself too. Um, and a movie I revisit every year, especially as a filmmaker and just watching him. And I did, did that movie very, very, fairly early in his career. Yeah. So, and to watch him evolve as a filmmaker, I've always loved because I'm such a huge fan of him.
0: I'm curious, I'm I'm gonna look it up while uh, while we talk about, I talk about my okay, other too. ones. But <laughs> no, I'm curious in David Fincher, wasn't uh wasn't seven kind of very close to, if not immediately after Alien. Alien. Yeah, it's super close. I yeah. I don't
1: know if the game came game oh, came right. after, right? Or before. Uh
0: because yeah, okay, so Alien is 92. Oh yeah, okay. And then
1: uh next feature is seven. Is seven. Yeah. Can you imagine having done that alien movie? And then you your next your second movie, yes. which is always the big pressure yes. movie, is fucking seven. So
0: many um so many iconic and amazing music videos, obviously. Yes. But yeah. But for the emotional toll and disaster that David Fincher felt like Alien 3 mm-hmm. was for him. I mean, he hates that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can understand. Like, it's crazy to me that he was able to... T- to Bounce back is the wrong word. But, but, like, you know, Seven is not, like, some teeny indie movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Like, that's a... That's a, a movie. movie with movie stars, yeah. and uh, and so like the idea that that's the next one, it's. It's almost like, I don't know this to be true at all, but it's almost like David Fitcher was so stubborn that he was like, fuck you guys, I'm going to prove to you guys that this was your fault, Yes, and I'm going to come back with one of the greatest movies of the fucking decade, yeah. and and blow all of your minds, and it's yeah. just like, middle fingers, yeah. Yeah. Everybody like, <laughs> like, fuck you guys, I told you I was good, I, I told you, that alien movie sucks. Yeah, proof, Yeah, proof. See, I can do
1: it, and obviously it's paid off. I mean, oh warrior. my god,
0: I... I am, I am a I mean, you know, it's I'm sure the people listening to this podcast, um, I don't have to convince anybody of David Fincher's worth. But that said, like, to the point of the list. Yes. The list is so incorrect. Yes. To to omit David Fincher for as an American filmmaker. Yep. In 2019. Seven mm-hmm. came out in 1995. Yeah. This first list was like 97/98. They have had 20 years yes. to catch up with David Fincher. It, but it's, it's Haven't you know. It. I wonder too, like, if what they would, what AFI would put on this
1: list for I don't David know. Fincher. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, what would they pick? Like, would it be like. Because it's always. Social network? Would it be like, oh, I don't know. God. If it's, if it, like, in a hypothetical world, if
0: the AFI, is that because that's the Oscar fucking one? Fucking like, social network on this list, I would set
1: something yeah. <laughs> on fire. I would be very upset. It should be seven. That's I, why I picked. I was like looking at his body work I was like seven. Seven's the one. Um and Zodiac, by the way. Can a, a I just give Zodiac's my shout-out to That's like, my second favorite Pinterest movie. <laughs> it, it, it has aged so, so well. You watch that movie now, you're like I mean, it's not even that old, but it is so fucking powerful. And ta- and again, watching him. Seven flawless movie, but also watching him graduate oh, as a absolutely. filmmaker. Then you see Zodiac, and like I watched the fucking three and a half hour director's cut because I can't get enough of it. You know what <laughs> they would put on there? <laughs> They'll put fucking Fight Club on there. Oh, right. And yeah, incorrect. Yeah, a- I'm just cult saying. classic, yes,
0: a- but not his best. AFI, incorrect. I'm just gonna preemptively <laughs> tell you you are incorrect. Do not put Fight Club on this list. Yeah. If you can only, if I can only have one. I can only have yeah. one David Fincher movie because, let's be real, they're not going to give him... No. You know, there are too many... There's vertigo needs to be on there. <laughs> Get out of
1: here, vertigo. Make room. Make, room. <laughs> Make way. Make way. Fincher's coming in. Um, okay, what were you rather? The other two, uh, I'll just go through them briefly because, it, you know, it was... I really wanted to think about the list. Also, I have a lot of, you know, issues with the lists in general, but... Um, and I don't think this is on the thrills, but American Psycho. Oh yeah, it's not on any of the lists. And Mary Heron and yeah, and I also I just think there's not enough women in general. In reference. So if there are not. So um, obviously that's one of my favorite movies. Again, another movie with commentary that I watched before I started oh. directing, and I learned so much from and her as a filmmaker. And then. Um, lastly is a very recent movie, which was, um, it chapter one. Oh yeah. Which I think is, that's something I watched in the theaters three times. I immediately bought it. I continued to watch it. I think that it was masterful filmmaking, especially a movie that made so much money, but also an adaptation. Yes, Also, um, dealing with children. Also very well written, funny, um, scary, uh, I fun, totally fun. Like I watched it. I was like, Oh Yeah this is why I want to make movies is how fun it is. Like you, you forget that, or this is why I want to go to the movies. Yes. I want to have fun in the movies. It reminded me of that. I saw it in the theater three times as well. Um, but
0: one of them, it wasn't finished. <clears throat> and that was like one of the most cool things. In 10 years of Los Angeles, getting to walk into a very early screening of It yeah, and with my arms folded and snorting and being like, it's not Carrie Fukunaga. I don't want to watch this. And yeah, I like Mama, but come on. should have yep. be Carrie Fukunaga. And coming out and being like, Ooh. <laughs> whoa. I think, but I've, I've told you this. I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast before, but I will say that Sometimes when you see things early, you feel so strong. And I don't mean in a festival environment. Like, I don't... Because there's there's a lot of talk in our industry about, like, festival hype. Sure. And the idea of, like, you're in this atmosphere and it just... Mm-hmm. And then it, it doesn't translate to regular audiences. Yes. Um, but that said, I saw an early screening of um, The Woods, a.k.a. Oh, yes. Blair, Blair Witch. Witch. Yep. And... Um, and I saw it because I was doing a panel at Comic-Con and uh, didn't know the reveal. And uh, I walked out of that movie. Our, our whole screening room, it was a small screening room, but our whole screening room uh, was on the edge of their seat. You could feel the tension. And I was like, this is going to be the biggest movie of the summer. I thought that movie was going to be huge. And then came out, tanked. People hated it. I was shocked at how many horror fans hated Blair Witch. Um, So that said, the next summer, or whatever, I think it was the next summer, I saw this early screening of it, and I was like, I think this is amazing. Yeah. I think people are gonna like it, but I just don't know anymore. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but then seeing it you guys were at a screening that yeah. I was at, that was really fun. And also that was one where when you've seen it before and you know you can like watch yes. people. I love watching people in horror yeah. movies, that, especially ones that are good, yeah. that you know what's gonna work. Oh and, yeah. And
1: and it's that that is so fun. Yeah, it, it is I, yeah, I can't wait to see the next one. It's like chapter two. I can't I mean there is a lot to live up to with am, it, but I'm here for the ride. So I'm so
0: curious. Yeah, I, I can't am wait. So curious. Uh, I hope they stick the landing. Same. I really, really do. Like there are gonna be some snobby, uh, mean spirited people who are gonna <laughs> be like, not nah, as good as the first one or whatever, but I um sincerely hope that that it that they pull it off. I really, really do. Yeah, we'll see.
1: We, all we float. don't have long to. <laughs>
0: yes, we all float, and we don't have time, long to wait, which yeah. is so exciting. It's gonna yeah. happen. <laughs> um, well, this has been so nice, Chelsea. I'm so glad that you came on the show. Thank you for having me. Honored to be. Housed. You are <laughs> the first person to ever make me cry. In an episode. I have had (laughs) tears before, but I have not cried uh, on the show before. So that is so congratulations. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And don't forget to my audience who are listening, do not forget to follow follow Chelsea Stardust on the social. I don't usually do social plugs, but you have so much content coming out that I want people to be able to keep track of it. So um, All That We Destroy is coming on May 3rd. Uh, yep, May, May 3rd. 3rd. And uh, I wrote down that Field of Dreams come out on May 5th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was so close. And I was like, oh. And then uh, Satanic Panic will be uh, presumably making the festival rounds and be out later this year. Yep, we'll see. All right, my love. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. friends, that's going to do it for me today. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and that conversation with Chelsea Stardust. Once again, don't forget... I know I said it in the outro uh, just now, but I'm going to say it one more time. Um, Follow Chelsea on socials. She's got a lot of great content coming up, including all that we destroy May 3rd on Hulu and Satanic Panic from Sin State and Fangoria coming later this year. If you are a um, Patreon contributor, first of all, thank you. Um, But if you are $5 and higher, this year we have opened, or this month I have opened up the Watch Along in honor of my birthday to $5 and higher contributors. Usually it's $10. So go on over. Over to Patreon.com/slash/ClarkWolf and you can vote on the movie. We're going to be screening the movie this Saturday. Um, all the details and information is there. If you are not a Patreon contributor, totally fine. Um, if you want to support the show and you want to support me, please share the show, share your favorite episodes, subscribe, rate and review the the podcast, tell your friends, um, and that'll do it. Uh, this coming Thursday, for those five dollars and higher contributors, I have a mini more with Chelsea Stardust um, talking about our. favorite Favorite movie stars and Field of Dreams. Alrighty, friends, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.